jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. This is the Carl Arrington Archive on jasoncharles.net. The following episode features an excerpt of my interview with Barry Gibb, recorded in July 1978 at his house in Miami, Florida. Somewhere in there, you'll be able to hear his wife, Linda, and his brother, Maurice, that was also on hand for part of the interview. Is this, um, is this complex, the, uh, the groups, or is no, this, this, this my home? This is your... Maurice purpose. is just around the corner of the bay, and the group are renting a place, the band, uh-huh. are renting a place right opposite on the other side of the bay. Take a look around. Wow, this is, this is some incredible place. It's really nice. It is. Wow, this is... And so how long have you been here? Two two years? No, since... No, just over a year. Just over a year. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your life here. About... Now, you have two kids? Yeah, Stephen and Ashley. Two boys. And they're... How old? Stephen's four. And Ashley, he's about nine months. Mm-hmm. So, new father. Once again. Another <laughs> <laughs> one into the world. Yeah, it's nice, though. <laughs> the only the real hang-up is that I don't get the chance to see the moments that uh, maybe, like Dick, who's our personal manager, uh, also lives here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, he sees more of their growing up than I do because his office is in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, my work is at the studio. So yeah. Until I get a studio in the house, I'm sort of constantly away from the house. Uh, I see Linda maybe two, three hours a day. Mm. And uh, we've got to pile in all the conversation we can. You know? <laughs> That's right, turning up to 78 when you come home. Do you do no. any dirty things? No. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> I missed out on that. Um, so what, when you, how do you capitalize on those three hours in terms of... Well, we don't. It just, becomes, it just becomes a nerve-wracking time. I mean, I've been in the studio now for, what, uh, five months. And Linda's saying, look, when are you going to get this damn album finished? You know? mm-hmm. And it's hard for her to understand as much as it is... Uh, you know, she can know, she can't understand any more than me why the sudden um, great expectations from everybody, the great demand to come up with an album or yeah. to come up with something incredible. And uh, because when we did Saturday Night Fever, we didn't, we weren't really sure we had hits anyway. You know, yeah. you, you work that way. You don't, you make, you make records. But we don't walk out of the studio until we think we've got something great. But even with the Saturday Night Fever thing, there's always room for doubt. There's always. I didn't think that if I can't have you as a hit. Mm. By Ivan Element, I didn't think for a second. I thought that's the one song that's not a hit, you know. Um, Staying Alive, we were worried about. We didn't think any of these songs were disco. I mean, we didn't write disco. We never really did write disco. The only disco song we ever wrote was You Should Be Dancing. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, that'll make them dance. It's great. It'll yeah. make people happy. They'll dance to it. We never really continued the disco line. And, and Robert said, write this music for this film. We never saw a script. We never knew that it was really based on disco. Mm-hmm. We thought it was about a bunch of guys who lived in New York that... Uh, had a tough time growing up, yeah. and, and we didn't really think that the whole thing was going to be sold based on disco. Mm-hmm. And Staying Alive and Saturday Night Fever weren't disco to us. Mm-hmm. And Night Fever, I figured, well, people might be able to move around to that. But we weren't thinking of people dancing to them. Mm-hmm. Staying Alive turned out to be a disco record that really fooled me. I never even thought it was a disco record, because yeah. the rhythm is different than other disco records. Right. In, in the actual uh, creation of Saturday Night Fever, what, what role did... Them? Yeah, well... It's all very loose. First of all, Robert's a genius at putting packages together. He, mm-hmm. um, he takes things, people bring him all kinds of packages and he says, fine, send that out. That's great. You know? And the Saturday Night Fever thing came in bits and dribs and drabs. He sort of said, uh, 
by making a film. He rang me when I lived in the Isle of Man, which is in the Irish Sea somewhere, yeah. and um, before we moved here. And he said, um, <clears throat> give me a title for a film I'm making. If you can give me a title that you can write the music with the same title, we're onto a really good thing. Yeah. And, I, and, and I said, what's, what, do you wanna, what is the film at the moment? He said, well, it's, it's actually called Tribal Rights of a New Saturday Night, which is yeah. Nick, um, yeah, Nick Cannon's article. <clears throat> I thought, well, for me, I said, you can't use that title. It's weird. You know, I said, it might be nice, but, it's, but, but short and simple is, is to sell a thing like that. I didn't know what kind of film it was. He said it was about a bunch of guys living in New York. Mm -hmm. And I went away and I thought of a couple of titles. One of them was um, someone I can't remember, and the other was Night Fever. Mm -hmm. And I rang him back and I said, <clears throat> what about Night Fever? And he said, no, it's too pornographic. Mm -hmm. I said, well, yeah, but if the film isn't pornographic, it's enticing. If you sell it the other way, it depends on how you sell it. He said, okay, well, let me think about that one. He said, that's nice. It just sounds like it sounds like a blue movie. So, um, you know, I thought, yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see if I can think of something else, and you see if you can think of something else. So he went away, and six months later, um, after we'd been doing the music for a while, it turned out the film was called Saturday Night Fever, and that's what happened. But before all this happened, during that six months, we, were, we went into the studio in France, not thinking about music for Saturday Night Fever. We neither heard, heard of the name nor... You know, we're really bothered about it. Mm -hmm. Night Fever, we thought Robert was not bothered, he was going to do another title and the film wasn't going to have anything to do with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were making an album in France for tax reasons. And um, he suddenly called up in France and said, I want you to drop everything and mix the, and, and mix the live and, and mix the last show you did at the KROQ concert because it's a smash album. We thought, oh, Jesus, that's nice because we don't have to sweat our heads out writing a whole oh, new right. album with Mix the Live album. I mm -hmm. said, Are you sure it's that good? And he said, Well, I'll send the masters. And uh, we did take the last shot at um, the forum, yeah, mm -hmm. the last tour. And he said, uh, "Put you want to mix that together and, and do some touches up and make that a live album." And that's what we did. Well, during the time we were doing that, he ran again saying, "Drop everything." <laughs> well, we said, "Well, look, on the live album, you know." Okay, he said, "Well, while you're mixing the live album, do you think you could write four songs for um, the film, the Tribal Rights film?" Mm -hmm. So we said, "Sure." And that's what we did. We wrote four songs that were demoed. Um, incidentally, uh, Night Fever was the finish, was a demo, but it was finished. I mean, it, it turned out to be a great demo. That's the track. That's the yeah. way it turned out. Um, um, How Deep Is Your Love was recut here. Mm -hmm. And Staying Alive was, was cut as a demo. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what, mm -hmm. how that ended up. And um, during the time we were mixing the live album. So it was all done within about two or three weeks, the writing of those songs and the demos, which turned out to be finished tracks, which we didn't realize. Um, and that's how it came about. And we worried about those songs all the way. We didn't think that they were really hits. We, yeah. just, we just wrote them and that was it. You know? And he came down and then flipped and said, finish them. You know? And also he included dancing and jive talking in the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Tell me the circumstances under which you saw Saturday Night Fever, the movie. And how you reacted initially to it? Well, when we first saw it, we didn't like it. We saw we saw the, the rough cut. What was that? Maybe four yeah, hours before they really started editing it. Down. Yeah, uh -huh. they started taking out little things that didn't work. They, a few a few things that were wrong to us was that uh, on the disco floor when people were dancing, you could hear everyone clapping their hands along to John Travolta dancing. And we said to Robert, you know, you've been in discos, you wouldn't hear anybody clapping their hands. Yeah, you would just hear music. It would blast your ears off. Right. And you dance, and it, they had a, a mist machine, one of those dried ice machines. Mm -hmm. Well, you could hear it being turned on. People mm -hmm. were dancing, and you get. Robert, you wouldn't hear that. You just wouldn't hear it. Yeah. You'd just be dancing, and, and 
So later on, they took out the, the sound of the wind machine, the, the, uh, the dry ice machine. They took out the sound of people clapping along to the music mm. because you just can't hear that. They had it much louder than the music, the hand claps, you know, and the shouts and hey, go, you know, and all this business. Just little things that we thought, well, you shouldn't be. If you're in a disco, you don't hear anything else but the music. You know, so. Tell me how, how um, you think the, the uh, separate magics of the Bee Gees and John Travolta work together. Well, it obviously worked very well, but, but um, we had never known John. We'd never met him, mm. and he only met us at the premiere uh, of uh, Saturday Night Fever, and we'd never met him since. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know as to what value he puts on us in that movie, but uh, he was obviously a very big selling point. I mean, it goes without saying. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, the film needed that focal point, needed that one guy, and he was the guy. Mm -hmm. uh, great. And he really is good. It's good dancing. Yeah. What's uh, out of this whole last flurry of things that that have happened with Saturday Night? Yeah. What? Um, I mean, yeah. it, it, it must seem like a blessing from heaven that it's happened. It does. I mean, really, you know, what started with, yeah. with main it, course. How do you view that philosophically? I mean, were you raised religiously? I mean, do you? How we were raised religiously, but we are religious. Mm -hmm. in our own way and I think there's a there's a some form of psychic in what we do but it's not there's not a psychic in like uh, you can predict historical happenings and things yeah, like that it's a yeah. psychic in, in uh, it's like um, I once read that Keith Richards said exactly what I would have said he said that you, you, you the way you write songs is it's almost as if they're already written mm. you just pull them out of the air for mm -hmm. some reason and some people can pull them out of the air some people can't yeah. it's not something like say I've got to write this song if I can't think of this line I'm done for we'd never have that problem it's almost like the line was ready to, to place just there, mm. and the next line comes just there, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's maybe psychic's the wrong word, but, but you just pull these things out of the air, they just come to you, and it's almost like someone's making a, a gift of them to you, yeah. you know, because the, the amount of success we've had in the last year has been staggering. Yeah. I mean, we, we everything we've put out has been virtually a number one record, Right. and not because we totally believed they were number one records, you know, right. they just came to us and we wrote them down. Uh -huh. And and providing I think we keep our minds in the state our minds are in, then we'll continue to do so. Huh. Why don't? Uh, how's the album? The album's come along well. At what stage is it? It's at um, final dub vocal stage, pre-orchestra. Mm -hmm. We reckon to be finished about the middle of September. Oh, is that right? Not until then. Not until then. <laughs> so that means that the uh, that the tour is. Quashed or delayed no, or the, the tour is at this point still going out at the end of September, but um, there are discussions going on. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But, uh, mm -hmm. We're not about to pull out of the album to go on tour, so you know, I don't know what's going to become of that. Sure. How long have you actually been in the studio working since uh, March, beginning of March? Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, the thing that I found is that it it pays off when you take time. Album. Well, you know, you can imagine the pressure. It's really it's ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, we've never made an album under these conditions. You know, yeah. With everyone saying, what are you doing? Before, nobody ever asked what we were doing. You know, we sort of <laughs> totally disinterested. You know. you know, Children of the World was Children of the World and Main Cause and those things were just, yeah. nobody ever said, what are you guys doing? You know, we can't wait for it to be done. You know, now it's sort of, we feel like we've got to please the world and his uncle. And, sure, yeah. Well, like Fleetwood Mac took a long time to do this. Yeah. Bob Seger Steve waited. Bishop just finished a year. Stephen Bishop took yeah. time. Stevie Wonder two yeah. years. So yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think it's smart if you if you can afford it's it. It's expensive, but it's right. the only way we can do it. You know, it, it doesn't ensure the next album, but it ensures the one after it. Mm. And that's the real. Um, 
danger. You know, is 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 not. I'm I'm sure this album will have some form of success based on Saturday Night Fever right. as the business goes. Yeah. But the next, it's the one after that that we really need people to be interested in. Uh huh. What kind of uh, what kind of schedule are you keeping in the studio? Ridiculous. Well, well no, we, we've given ourselves new rules that we never had before. We go not like we've done before. We probably finished on on albums earlier before because we went. We used to work all night. Mm-hmm. You know, we would start at two in the afternoon and go till uh, six the next morning and collapse mm. and never see the daytime. And and with, we now have at least um, two of us have two children and one of us has one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can no longer do that. We're not seeing our families anymore, you know. Yeah. So what we do now is um, <laughs> is three till twelve, no uh, Saturdays and Sundays off. Mm. It's the only way. Good working schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's nine hours a day, and uh, what more can any man mm-hmm. do? You know? If you're spending all of this time, I mean, do you get energized working in a studio? Yeah, I get. Um, I mean, at the pace you're going now. Yeah, you know, I if I write for nine hours, I just burn out. You know, I mean, I yeah. have to go yeah. play tennis or something. Well, yeah. Right now, we're trying to negotiate a two-month break, which is just like negotiating a deal. You know, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Uh, from this, we're supposed to go into rehearsal for the tour. After the tour, we're supposed to do um, uh, a concert for UNICEF on January the third. So, what it looks like at the moment is two weeks for Christmas Boys. You know, mm. and, and uh, it's it's getting ridiculous. It's getting so we can't turn around without without. With things all being lined up into the middle of next year that we have to do, yeah. Instead of things, instead of pacing things like with two months in between projects, you know, getting that that's the way it should be. It's just that so many things have been confirmed, we can't breathe. Yeah, we don't. Um, it's all work. I don't mean it's all work because we love it. Sure, but it, it, it's it's all go. There's no um, there's no real breaks. You're creating all this and explaining it to me. It sounds like that you know you're really producing a lot of stuff. What gives you the fresh approach? I don't know. It's probably uh, what I hear in a lot of the records is energy. Mm-hmm. A lot of the records we're putting out, I hear energy. Yeah. I don't hear any laziness. I hear, you know, they're exciting. Yeah. I don't know how, how deep they go as songs, but they're exciting to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. I think that has an enormous amount to do with it. Mm-hmm. There's energy. You know, and I think when you put energy into a record, you're talking about hit records. I just think it's an, it's an ability, not necessarily ability to predict happenings, but an ability to, um, to just pull things out of a hat and do it. It's a psychic thing. I don't know what it, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Are there any of you that, that like being in the studio more than the others? Yeah, me. You do? Yeah. I love, well, I co-produce with Albie and Carl on other projects. Yeah. Albie and Carl are sort of co-producers. Um, and when we're not doing the Bee Gees, or when the, actually when we're doing the Bee Gees, everybody takes a part. The Bee Gees also produce. But when um, the Bee Gees are not in the studio, then I do other projects like Samantha Sang or um, a new girl, Terry Desario, mm-hmm. which I'm looking for some action this weekend. So. Andy. Andy, of course, we produce Andy. And um, that's the three of us, me and Albie and Carl. And, um, it's great, I love it. It's just time consuming, it consumes yeah. everything. You know? yeah. How do you uh, uh, like producing, working in a studio as opposed to the thrill of? live performance is that sort of lost its edge I mean you, in some ways you almost seem to be a- avoiding going on tour I mean because yeah. I'm sure that's a real grind at this stage in your life I'm sh- yeah but it's going to be such an exciting tour that it's something we're all looking forward to it's sure. another side to it um, yeah we do enjoy being in the studio more because we are in the studio more than touring touring yeah. is sort of an event that, that you do maybe every year or so or uh, and, and you enjoy it when you do it Linda loves to travel we all love to travel and yeah. doing that 
but uh, we enjoy the creativity of the music. Mm -hmm. That's where the buzz is, you know. I mean, that's uh, you can't tour, you can't do any of those other things without successful music. Right. And we, we, you know, that's where our first love is. You know, we spend a lot of years in the studio, learning and picking up things as we've been along. You know, we just do it. Is is the thrill that has come as a result of all this? Obviously, money. There's no end to the amount that you can enjoy that sort of reward. But sure. what security? That's nice. Sure. But yeah. what? Uh, what beyond that has been real rewarding out of this? I mean, obviously, there's been some pains. I mean, you got to put a yeah. sign on your on your gate that there are dogs. Well, to be honest, the sign was there before we moved in. Uh -huh. I mean, we just thought, well, we'll leave that there. <laughs> sure. it's, it's, Sort of deterrent for the wrong kind of people, right? But, um, but I mean, there are there are obviously drawbacks as well that come with this. I mean, you're like you said, the amount of pressure that you're yeah. under to produce another yeah. zillion seller. Personal drawbacks is that people, even though people real close to you, uh, treat you differently yeah. than they would have a year ago or two years ago. You know, people who are your real close friends start to speak to you with reservations, mm. and uh, I don't know how to put that into words, but they do speak yeah. to you differently than they did two years ago. Sure, you know? and it's strange, really strange. Those are drawbacks because mm. people don't treat you like the average guy or the average, which is what we are, we're just people yeah. who have had success writing songs and uh, you, people stop treating you like that. They treat yeah. you like as But it isn't song. a common <laughs> occurrence, yeah. you must yeah. admit. Mm. I know, it, it's, it staggered us too. Yeah. Well, I, su I, I suppose that's a fairly common thing. Yeah. I mean, you don't change, but people well, think you do. You or, do. We, everybody does. Yeah. You know, you give that success to everybody and they'll all change to a degree, yeah. but their friends and people around them change a lot more. Uh -huh. Because they immediately assume that you've changed more, and you haven't. Uh -huh. You've changed a little, and, uh, and you're more wealthy, or you're more, um, you walk a little taller, or you feel a little uh, prouder, or you treat people a little um, uh, differently than you might have, mm -hmm. you know, had you not had the success. But, uh, apart from that, we're still just as scared as we ever were. There's a, the um, success comes and goes, you know. I mean, it's like um, Talis Savalas playing Kojak. His words were, "The bubble will burst," mm. and it did. When he was coach, he was the world, the top. Yeah. You know, and and um, now it's just another detective show. Do you feel like that? I mean, having had the the bubble burst once. Yeah. I mean, you feel sort feel of impending doom. That's, no, no. <laughs> but we have an, a, a fear of failing, and that's what drives us on. You know. But but the Bee Gees have got to go somewhere. The Bee Gees can't just stay here making records. Mm -hmm. the, the whole the, our whole idea is to go from here to somewhere else again, from here to. Um, uh, to the Bee Gees on record label, from here, from the Bee Gees on record label to the Bee Gees film company. Mm. And that's where the Bee Gees are going. And, and, and make no mm. bones about it. We're not just these things are already being planned. They're already in the works. And uh, you know, that hopefully one day the Bee Gees um, kind of organisation that the Bee Gees are forming right now will be bigger than the Bee Gees were as a group. Mm. And that's what we're after. We don't want the Bee Gees to end up as a Las Vegas um, headlining show in ten years' time. It mustn't happen to us. You've been listening to my interview with Barry Gibb, recorded in July 1978. On the next episode, Stevie Wonder, February 1986. This is Carl Arrington. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Carl Arrington Archive on jasoncharles.net. The Carl Arrington Archive is a collection of hundreds of hours of rare, in-depth interviews with the greatest musicians, performing artists, and writers, conducted over four decades by veteran journalist Carl Arrington. 
For more information about the series and upcoming episodes, go to the Carl Arrington Archive on the JasonCharles.net Podcast Network Audio Dramas channel. Follow us on Instagram at Carl Arrington Archive and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information regarding licensing and full extended interviews, contact Carl Arrington Archive at gmail.com. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.